Word of God has the power to change your life. Amen? Acts 20, verses 7 through 12, Eutychus raised from the dead on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So in order to dramatize this passage, we're going to do the same thing tonight. So, Yeah, it's only about 7.30, so we got about four and a half hours, right? We're good. <laughs> Just kidding. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. That's important when you go back and it talks about lights in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's always important to remember that anytime it talked about lights, and I was talking about the heavenly lights, it was talking about flames, talking about uh, candles or wicks that are burning. And uh, anyway, there, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Can you all do me a favor? I had, I had dropped the volume down in the monitor. Can you pick it back up for me? So just go to, I'm a, I'm a, go to monitor 5, hit sends the fader, and then pull this one up a little bit. So, uh, just kind of give you a little introduction where we're at. Paul was leaving the city of Ephesus and on his way to Jerusalem. As he traveled through the cities on his journey, he took the opportunity to minister to the churches that were in them. Paul, knowing that he would not be passing this way again, took the opportunity to speak to them at length about the kingdom of God. Paul, the Bible says, was talking into the night, and as he did so, a young man named Eutychus who happened to be sitting in the window, probably just had some potato soup and sliders. <laughs> fell asleep and fell out of the window, and he died. Now, as we examine this text today, I want to look at this passage as an allegory. Can you say the word allegory with me? What is an allegory? Well, an allegory is a term for a figure of speech. An allegory is a story or picture which contains within it hidden meanings. The characters in the allegories are symbols which represent particular ideas, and the story has a figurative meaning, not just a literal one. In our text, a young man by the name of Eutychus was in the service sitting in the window. Where were they? On the third story. I've been to uh, Jerusalem and um, I had an opportunity to worship at a church there. And you walked in to the this particular church, you walked in on the bottom floor and you went up to the second floor and that's where you gathered. There was a big hall there and that's where you worship. When I went to Finland, it was the same way. You walked in on the uh, bottom floor and you walked up and there was an open room at the top floor and then that was on the second floor and that's where you worship. And so we're kind of used to how we do things here. You know, we're first floor and really you know I've never been to a church in the states that had a second floor or third floor that wasn't a balcony and worship there but that's kind of what happened here they found an upper room and they were worshiping it was on the third story and looking at this allegorically we can interpret this to mean that and see you got to realize when you use the word heavens in the biblical meaning there's the first heaven the second heaven and the third heaven 
The first heaven is the realm where we live. The second heaven is where the angels and the, and, and the, and the evil spirits are, are fighting. And the third heaven is the place where God resides. Okay? So they're on the third story. And looking at this allegorically, we can interpret this to mean that they were in the third heaven environment. They were in the spirit. Okay? That is, they were spiritually alive and uh, to the things of God. Eutychus was a believer and he was sitting in the midst of the church. Eutychus, however, was sitting in the window. So what does that mean for us? Well, in a way, you might say Eutychus was part in and he was part out. He was on the fringe. He was a believer. He was worshiping the Lord, but he was kind of falling asleep, you know, kind of like those five virgins that had oil and the five virgins that didn't, but they all fell asleep. He was kind of falling asleep, kind of like some of y'all are tonight. And, uh, uh, but who does Eutychus represent? Remember, this is an allegory, and so we're just kind of going with it. Well, the Bible describes him as a young man, and it's my belief that he can most accurately represent the younger generation. Now, we could say the next generation. It doesn't have to necessarily be the kids. It could be young people. It could be the adults, the, the young adults. It could be the single adults. It could be any of the, that generation. And it's my belief that he can most accurately represent that generation. Thus, he is representative of the next generation, not just male, but male and female. And yes, it's just male and female. No, no, these are my pronouns unless they match your gender, okay? Today, we might use a phrase such as, he was sitting on the fence. Or he's not all in. Or he's lukewarm. And if we understand his position in that way, we can then go on to say that he fell asleep, but he didn't just fall asleep literally. He also, we could say, fell asleep to the things of God. Right? Wake up, O sleeper, the Bible says in the Old Testament. So that's kind of where we're going with this tonight. In Revelations 3, 15 through 20, uh, it says... Uh, the Lord speaking to the, I believe it's the church at Laodicea, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, it's interesting about this passage in, in Revelation is that and it just hit me right here. How many of you know that if Jesus wanted to, he can walk through walls? But he's seen knocking on the door. Now, whose door is it? Remember, in the first chapter, it says he was walking in between the, the lampstands and, and he held uh, something in his hands. I forgot what they were, the stars in his hands. So, you know, he is Lord of the church. He can go in and out anytime he wants to. But here he is knocking on the door of the church. Why? Because he's always waiting for us and our choice and our decision to invite him in. And, you know, <laughs> that's exactly right. He doesn't 
force his way. He doesn't make himself come in. He offers opportunity for us to invite him in. In Matthew 25, 1 through 13, this is what I referenced before, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks, flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered wisely, I added that in there, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So when this man Eutychus fell asleep, he fell down to the first floor, and he died. Going with our allegorical interpretation, we could then say that he fell spiritually and he experienced a spiritual death. Uh, we're not a, um, a church that's Calvinistic in its leanings, so we do believe that once you've been saved, you can fall away from grace. You can choose to leave God, and so that's why we, I'm going to interpret it this way. If you have other leanings, you're welcome to interpret it the way you want to. But I don't believe God ever takes away your free will. That's why I struggle with uh, what's called Christian universalism, where Jesus died for everybody's sins, which is true. And therefore, everybody, whether they uh, have heard about him or not, whether they know who he is, everybody's going to go to heaven. That is not true. Because then what happens is you take away people's free will. I would love it to be true because we want everybody to go to heaven so we're not saying that we don't want it to be true but biblically it is an untrue that would be a heresy to teach that people are out there teaching that and it's heretical it's not uh, biblical it's not a tenet of the faith you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you must call on him and put your faith in him in order to experience what he died for you to have, which is a relationship with God, restoration, regeneration, and eternal life. Amen? So anyway, this man fell asleep. He was on the third floor. He fell down. He fell. How many of us have at some time in our life fallen away from God, or we know people that have fallen away from God, and he fell down to the first floor, and then he died. So we could then say, as I said before, he fell spiritually and experienced a spiritual death. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hebrews 3.12-14, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, he's talking to the church, by the way, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence, our faith, firm to the end. What happened when Eutychus died? Paul, or the Apostle Paul, whose name means small or humble, a type of an apostolic people, was not willing to leave him there in that condition that he was in. 
he was dead. But remember, he wasn't just physically dead for our allegorical interpretation. He was spiritually dead. You say, duh, you got to go with the allegory. Go where I'm going with this. Just hold on with me, okay? In the account, he was dead physically, but allegorically, we're going to say that he was dead spiritually since he had fallen from that heavenly realm, which is the third story, down to the first realm, which is the natural realm in which he we live, and but Paul was not willing to leave him in that situation. He wasn't willing to just let that situation, that circumstance, this person's life alone. I want you to notice that no one else was doing anything for Eutychus but mourning and perhaps even thinking, how are we going to raise the money to bury him? What kind of service are we going to have? Who's going to sing the song uh, at his eulogy? Who's going to read his obituary? Pretty much they were mourning, weeping, planning the funeral, but not Paul. Paul was going to do something about the situation. Too many people are simply lamenting the woes of today's society and today's young people, the next generation, and unfortunately leaving them in the condition that they're in. That's not what Paul did. Paul went to this young man. Paul went to the next generation. He understood the heartbeat of God, and he understood that God is a God of resurrection power. No matter how bad that next generation looks to you, I want you to know that he couldn't have been any worse than who Paul was before Jesus revealed himself to him. But God saw something in Paul, God revealed himself to Paul, and God took someone that wasn't just dead spiritually, he thought he was alive, but he was dead spiritually, but he was like, he was like on the far end of dead. <laughs> he was actually causing death to other people, he was so dead. He was like gangrenous dead who was infecting people with his death. And God appeared to Paul and resurrected him and gave him a new life and a new purpose and a new destiny. And Paul, perhaps, maybe remembered, was so impacted by what God did in his life that Paul said, yes, that boy is dead, but I don't believe that he has to stay that way. I'm not just going to stay here on the outside looking, observing, wondering, crying, and weeping. But I'm going to go down there and I'm going to stretch myself out upon this young man. And I'm going to let my heart touch his heart. I'm going to let my thoughts touch his thoughts. I'm going to let my hands touch his hands. I'm going to let my breath imbue his breath. And I want to speak life into this boy. He understood the heartbeat of God. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Romans 6, 4 through 11. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. I'm just trying to show you that Jesus is a God of resurrection. Each and every one of us were dead in our sins, but we were resurrected to newness of life. I don't know if this is the Lord or not, but while I was talking about that, my mind was distracted because I could almost see, are you guys ready? Are you ready? Because there are people that you've been praying for. There are people that you've been calling out. There are people that you have been speaking and prophesying life into. They're going to start walking in those doors. They're going to walk in those doors. I mean, I'm not just wishing and hoping. I believe I'm prophesying. They're going to begin to walk in those doors. See, what happens is we can pray something, and we pray it for so long that it just becomes rote. And I know, I've been there. I do that at night. I can't go to bed without praying for so-and-so. God, just touch them and heal them, and you know, but I just got to get it done. But sometimes I'm just saying something without faith. But I want you to know, I want you to begin to believe that what we're praying for, keep doing what you're doing, but begin to have an expectation that when I stretch my hands out in prayer over this next generation, over my sons, over my daughters, over my grandchildren, that God is going to bring resurrection life into them. Let's not write them off. Let's not just say, hey, what do we need to do to be able to live this way? No, I believe that we have the power to change the next generation because Christ lives in us. The resurrecting God lives inside of us. Paul, whose, name's, whose name means humble, had great grace on his life. James 4 and 6 says he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The grace of God is the supernatural empowerment of God in and upon our lives. This grace is available to all who are willing to bow down and help those around us who are sick, injured, downtrodden, oppressed, and dying. Luke 5, 30-32, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. Paul didn't just believe with his mind. He believed by faith, and faith without works is dead because he believed he acted he was unwilling to leave the situation as it was he went down to where the man was and he stretched himself out upon him and he prayed and he prophesied life into this young man now I want you to know that this young man had not come back to life yet Paul said what did he say? Basically, I have to go back to the beginning. What did he say? Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. 
Now, why was he saying that? Well, I believe he heard from the Lord, but he was prophesying life into that dead body. And we've got to understand that God wants to use us to prophesy life into our uh, dead acquaintances, dead, and I'm talking about physically dead, I'm talking about spiritually dead relatives, spiritually dead descendants, spiritually dead people, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Without Jesus, we're dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God appeared to me, spoke to me, and invited me into his presence, into his life, and when I accepted that, I became spiritually alive. And we have a generation of people, see, we, we're an older generation, and I'm not saying that, uh, <laughs> reminds me, I was with Jerry in Luby's, and I looked around and I said, Jerry, everybody in here except me is old. You may feel that way as you look around our congregation. Everybody in here but you is old. But the reality is we're getting older. And as we're getting older, if we're not careful, our focus becomes on what's heaven going to be like. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Uh, How are my latter days going to be? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want us to begin to realize is that God's Power does not diminish in our life because our energy begins to diminish or begin, because it gets a little harder to do the things that we do. God's Spirit is still flowing through our life. And because of who we are and because of what we know, if we are, are, uh, are, are willing to be allow, allow God to use us in our life, we can actually be reinvigorated. We can actually be re-strengthened. Re, uh, 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 the power of God can flow with us so that we can become like Joshua's and Caleb's who even though they're 80 and 85 years old, they're still willing to lead the next generation into their inheritance. inheritance. Some of us are, we're just kind of figuring out where are we going to retire and where we're going to die. But I believe the Lord is wanting to invite us into a, another battle. He's wanting to invite us into the greatest battle of our lives, the battle for the next generation. He doesn't just want us to hang up our shingle, and He doesn't just want us to retire. He wants us to be like Caleb that says, see that mountain over there? I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. I've been waiting 40 years to take that mountain, and with God's help, if you'll give it to me, I'm going to take it. But see, Caleb didn't just go in there uh, by himself and take the mountain. He actually invited the next generation to help him take that mountain. He said, whoever it is that will go in there and take that city on my mountain, I will give him a place in my family. Othniel rose up, took the city, married into his family, and now Caleb said, now it's not just me. I got some somebody else in my family that's taking up the mantle that's going to go in there with me but until I die we're fighting together until we finish until we uh, attain what God has asked us to attain Mm -hmm.